there, you know what that sound is. That is the sound of an uncertain future. Welcome to the Risk Topic Podcast. I am Martin Rook, and this is the show that stands at the crossroads of science, technology, health, and society. How are we doing out there, ladies and gentlemen? You good? I'm good. The weather this week has decided that it wants to be warm, which is terrible for me. I prefer the cold, to be honest. Give me a little bit of that arctic breeze, you know, a little bit of that raining sideways, the grey skies. That is that is my sort of weather. I mean, come on, my, my sport is ice hockey. None of this summer games, Lark. But that being said, it is raining at the time of recording. So if you hear cars splashing about outside, uh, sorry, don't exactly have a studio. Though I am working on making myself a little, uh, little sound box out of cardboard and foam. Let it be said that if anything, I am at least resourceful. And before we begin the show, you know, we got we got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about all the things that can kill you. Let me just say uh, a big thank you to everyone who, who listens in on a weekly basis. A couple of new listeners over from last week, as the show is currently on about 100 listens on SoundCloud, which is good. It's getting there, slowly but surely. Put out a little, little thing on Facebook and people are like, yeah, send me a link to that, bruv. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. But speaking of Facebook, I, I was on it the other day uh, and I saw this news story. And I was like, ha, oh, this is this is a great one to talk about. And, you know, kind of one of the terrible things about doing a podcast where you speak about things where people have died. Um, you see tragedy and you go, that's a good story to talk about. Um, it's kind of a weird paradox, to be honest. But in America, there was a teen who died after drinking caffeine to quickly 16 year old davis allen Cripp collapsed uh, at school during may after downing a mcdonald's latte a large mountain dew and a undisclosed energy drink uh, all of them in under two hours and according to a coroner uh, the team tragically passed away from a caffeine induced cardiac event causing a probable arrhythmia now for those of you who are driving a uh, otherwise doing other things, maybe you're playing games, listening to this in the background, and you go, Martin, I'm not going to Google arrhythmia, mate. Come on, help us out here. Don't worry, bruv. I got your back. Arrhythmia can be defined simply as an irregular heartbeat. So either your heart beats too quickly or it beats too slow. Caffeine is a stimulant, the same way that cocaine or, or speed is a stimulant. So it would induce a faster pace of a beating of the heart. Now, why can that be a problem? You know, you'd be sitting there going, oh, that just gets the blood around quicker, doesn't it? You know, that gets more oxygen to things and it's all good. It becomes a problem where this irregular beating of the heart doesn't follow a normal pattern. When the heart beats, it sort of does a pulse from the bottom of the heart up to the top. And it allows the blood to flow in a circular pattern if you want. It goes into one chamber because you've got four chambers of your heart it goes into one this pulse starts from the bottom goes up into the second round into the third down into the fourth and out however if you have an irregular heartbeat you don't get that that fluid motion so blood can go you know from the second back to the first and then back into the second little bit going into the third then maybe being flowed back into the second the result of which basically being that the blood doesn't go where it needs to go 
and your organs start to shut down. So when you see, you know, on, on TV shows or whatever, them busting out the defibrillators, that is to address the issue of an arrhythmia. And most people think that those defibrillators, you know, the little panel things, and they sort of have them and they go, clear, and they zap them. If you've seen Doctor Strange, that's the thing he gets the... the nurse to do to him or lady doctor i should say she wasn't a nurse you know what i mean but most people think that those defibrillators restart the heart after it's stopped beating uh that's untrue they technically reset the heart if it's beating erratically as i've just described the defibrillators give you such a jolt of electricity that your heart goes ah shit and it just stops for a second that allows the electrical current to start back up and you get that nice fluid rhythm again to your heartbeat so maybe just maybe if there were defibrillators at the school i mean i've seen them on street corners there's one in greys opposite some charity place maybe if there was a defibrillator on the school grounds that may have helped who knows but either way davis crip had so much caffeine in his system that his heart went into this erratic beating into this arrhythmia there was no medical assistance on hand that could help and he tragically died now i know what you're thinking you're sitting there going all right well obviously you know this this kid must have had some some issues you know there must have been a uh, a heart complaint that he wasn't sure of you know there must have been a history of this uh no apparently um the kid had a, a clean bill of health as far as his heart's concerned uh you might be sitting there thinking okay well maybe he was obese you know that might have put a strain on his heart again he clocked in at about 14 stones so sure you can say that the guy was on the heavy side for a 16 year old but you couldn't really say that that was an immediate worry. It almost purely is down to the fact that this kid chugged so much caffeine that he blew his heart out. Now, don't panic. <laughs> okay, I'm not sitting there saying that you could drink one too many coffees a day and that's it. You're just going to drop dead. No, it was the fact that this kid drunk so much caffeine in such a short amount of time. It is suggested that about 400 milligrams of caffeine per day is a safe amount for an adult. That's roughly about four cups of uh, coffee or, or 10 cans of, of Coke. And Davis, within that two hour period, chugged about 470 milligrams of caffeine. There was about 142 milligrams in his McDonald's latte, about 90 milligrams in the Mountain Dew that he had. And energy drinks normally have about 240 milligrams. And if you're wondering what energy drink it was, uh, no one wanted to supply the brand name, but it was a big one. So something like a Monster or a Rockstar or something like that. You know, I, I don't I don't mess with those. I went to a gig once where I was, you know, standing underneath a black light and uh, I had an energy drink because I was tired. So took a sip as you do. You know, you get like that little bit of a uh, backwash just just on the actual like top of the can. I'm standing there underneath a UV light and it was glowing green. And I'm sitting there going, do you know what? I don't actually know what's in this, but it's glowing. And that's never a good sign to drink anything that glows. Put me off energy drinks for, for life. Don't get me wrong. I will still munch down on a McDonald's. I know what damage that can do to you, but glowing energy drinks. Nah, bruv, you're good. Now... I'm not saying that you should go and drink about 350 milligrams of, of caffeine per hour and think that you're, you know, you'd be safe. You wouldn't. You're going to do yourself a whole lot of damage, especially considering the sugar and stuff like that that most people seem to have with their caffeinated drinks. And of course, young children, adolescents and pregnant women are advised that they should probably have a bit less than those 400 milligrams of, of caffeine. If you're sitting there wondering, okay, okay, just, just 
how do I know if I'm having a little bit too much caffeine? Um, don't worry, got you covered here. There are a few signs that you know you might want to pay attention to. This your body's way of letting you know that you probably should cut back on the caffeine. Uh, headache, insomnia, nervousness, irritability, restlessness. If you have an upset stomach, fast heartbeat, faster than usual, and you get muscle tremors after drinking some caffeine, you know, maybe that's time that, that you should look to start supplementing your caffeine intake. If you like your tea, like your coffees, maybe try some decaf stuff. And I mean, I'm someone who does enjoy a cup of tea, but I have to admit, it does get a little bit worrying seeing just how much caffeine people are drinking. You know, it almost seems to be that people have a daily Starbucks habit. And not going to lie, I sit there and get those little puritanical, like, urges of outrage when I see small children, barely able to walk, yet able to, to slurp down the Starbucks that their parents have bought them on it. It seems to be that I'm focusing on Starbucks, like any coffee shop, Nero's, Costa, just Starbucks happens to be the first one that comes to mind. And again, when I used to work at the, uh, the, the secondary school, you would see kids walking into the secondary school just chugging back cans of, of energy drinks. Uh, not even like top tier full price ones, I'm talking like Boost. Like those terrible ones that have like pictures of jets on them and sell for like 10 pence for a hundred. You know, just ones that you look at and you're like, oh, your insides must be corroding right now. And of course the kids are bouncing off the walls for like the first two hours of the lesson. You're unable to get any work done. It's, it's just a war between you and a small child who's hopped up on caffeine and ready to fight you like they're coked up on a Friday night. But then, of course, the big question is, well, what do we do about this? Which always seems to be the question that people come back to, you know, how can the government get involved in this and stop it? Um, I mean, would you want the government to sit there and say that we're going to put an age rating on caffeinated drinks, which obviously would include things like Coca-Cola and stuff like that? And you run the risk of making people feel like bad parents for letting their kids have, you know, a can of Coke every now and again. Do we rebrand caffeinated drinks with the same sort of health warnings that we see on cigarettes. Obviously, that would be a little bit silly because the actual risk of killing yourself due to caffeine-induced arrhythmia is relatively small. You've got to set out to drink that amount of caffeine in such a short amount of time. For sure, you can make the argument that there needs to be more education on the risks of caffeine, but... I like to believe that the general public is smart enough to understand that, yes, caffeine is a drug. It is a stimulant. It's going to hype you up. And when you're hyped up, your old ticker beats quicker. Let's not forget the old adage of everything in moderation. So no, maybe what Davis Cripp needed was a friend, someone to sit there and be like, buddy, don't. <laughs> you know, you've drunk way too much caffeine. This cannot be good for you. No, no, no. I know that you're setting out to see just how much caffeine you can drink today. But come on, man. You're gonna stick yourself in hospital. Anyway, speaking of caffeine, I myself have, have run out of coffee. So I'm gonna go top up. I will try and, and shake this caffeine addiction. Because the other day I was sort of like, do you know what? Maybe I, I do drink a little bit too much coffee. A little bit too much tea. You know, I'll sort of wean myself off it. Um, and boy, did I get a withdrawal right then. I had a migraine, was miserable, it put me in bed for like a day. Um, I actually was crawling to the kettle to make myself a coffee just to feel normal. So I know I've got to detox myself from it, but that's, that's, that's for another time, not right now. And if you're sitting there 
sitting on a cup of coffee, now panicking that your heart's going to explode, going, ah, cheers, Martin, thanks for making me worry. Uh, It's all good, because uh, the next segment is about Ebola. And what's more fun than having your internal organs liquidate and leak out through every available orifice? I'll leave you that mental image. See you again in the second segment. I say we're back, you know, I, I hope you didn't go anywhere. I, I obviously went and made myself a cup of coffee. For you, it's been about five seconds. For me, 15 minutes. And as I stated in the previous segment, we are going to be talking about Ebola. Remember that? That this time last year, everyone was like, oh no, gonna die from Ebola. And then it just sort of went away. Um, But it's back. I mean, it didn't technically go anywhere. We just stopped reporting on it. Uh, But now we are reporting on it a little bit more. This week, the uh, suspected cases of Ebola has risen to 18 in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So, of course, the big question is, am I at risk of contracting Ebola? And by I, I mean you. Um, Here's a a simple checklist of your, your possible risk factors for contracting Ebola. Are you planning on going to the Congo anytime soon? If no, you're probably not gonna get Ebola. Quite a short checklist, guys. Not very many points on it. So, you know, the the question there is, why do journalists or why have journalists, why has the news media been really, really worried about Ebola in the past? And I guess it's sort of a a twofold thing. One, Ebola is quite a gnarly disease and we'll get on to the actual disease side of Ebola in a bit. Uh, But the second one is that it is highly communicable and we don't have a, a vaccine yet. I mean... We do have a vaccine now, but we don't have it ready to be rolled out. And of course, we're living in a globalized world right now where you can travel around the world in about 24 hours, slightly longer with with stoppages. And of course, airports are highly congested areas with lots of people going backwards and forwards from many different countries, especially if, like I said, you do have these layovers in certain places. And not only that, once you get out of an airport, chances are you're going to be getting into some form of mass transit. Even if, you know, you're taking a taxi to the city, your taxi driver who you may have accidentally spread Ebola to uh, would pick people up. They would then spread Ebola to other people. And the potential for a pandemic is quite worrying for health authorities. Now, one of the reasons why reporters are still reporting on it is because if you look at how risk issues are reported on, they always seem to follow this um, very similar trend. There will be hardly any mentions of anything like Ebola in the news until there is a big issue. Something goes wrong and there is a massive spike in reporting. So before last year, there may have been a few mentions of Ebola every now and again, but it hadn't reached sort of a, a global level of prominence. Then obviously we had the outbreak of last year. Was it the year before? Last couple of years, you know what I'm saying. You had this massive surge in reporting. And then after the event, the level of reporting sort of reaches a a steady state that is an awful lot lower than the peak, but never quite matches up with the pre-peak reporting period. Now you could be sitting there going, Martin, no, you're chatting rubbish, mate. I don't believe you on this one. Um, Check it out yourself. Go on to Google Trends, stick in Ebola, and you can actually have a look at this phenomena in, in action. Obviously, make sure you select from 2004 till present. 
otherwise you'll be looking at stuff in the past five years. So, you know, get the full scope is what I'm saying. The other interesting thing with Google Trends is that you can see where the most interest was. And the top five countries that Google searched for Ebola uh, between 2004 and now were Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea, Mali, and Nigeria. And despite the concentration of reporting that was put out there in Western nations, the United States that did have a documented case in Dallas ranks in at 17 on the most Google searches for Ebola. And other Western nations like Canada, United Kingdom, Ireland, and Australia ranking at 26 to 29 respectively. So again, whilst in the West, Ebola might not be a massive issue, it is a lot more probable to become an issue in African nations, and especially nations like Nigeria that does have a very affluent middle class, capable of global travel very easily. As we said before, there is the potential for this to become a pandemic. But again, we go back to the question of what is Ebola? It is very easy to just throw the word Ebola out there and just, just let the word invoke some sort of dread. Formerly, Ebola is known as uh, the Ebola virus disease, which is probably the most redundant name for a disease I've ever heard. It'd be like calling cancer, I don't know, lung cancer illness or something like that. It's formerly been known as Ebola hemorrhagic fever. Hemorrhagic there meaning to induce hemorrhage, to induce bleeding, that sort of thing. But obviously someone decided, let's just drop the hemorrhagic from it and give it the name of Ebola virus disease. It's easier to tweet that way. The virus is transmitted from wild animals to people and from people to people. It can be transmitted through the blood and secretions and, and other fluids from animals such as chimpanzees, gorillas, fruit bats, monkeys, forest antelope and porcupines. The animal doesn't need to be alive in order to spread the disease. So, you know, it could have been the case that someone had a cut on their hand. They found a dead porcupine, you know, that was bleeding. They just went, ah, sod this. I don't want this here. They picked it up and they chucked it into the bush. Um, that could have been enough to, to give someone Ebola. The first outbreaks of the Ebola occurred in remote villages of Central Africa near tropical rainforests. Again, at the boundary to which human existence meets animal existence. And then the 2014 to, to 2016 West African outbreak involved major urban areas as well as those rural rainforest areas. Now what is reasonably scary about Ebola is that the average fatality rate is around 50%. So you have roughly just as much luck calling heads or tails on a coin flip as you are dying from Ebola. Now, one of the reasons for such a high mortality rate is that there hasn't been a vaccine developed, or rather a vaccine was only developed very recently. But because you find outbreaks in relatively poor rural areas of Africa, that may have been one of the reasons why there wasn't such a push to develop a vaccine. It almost does seem to be true that we only started pushing for a vaccine once Western nations were threatened with Ebola. But the other side of things is that to treat or rather combat the spread of Ebola, it does require an epidemiological approach to addressing the disease. So there is an intervention package which looks at, you know, monitoring of individuals with suspected cases, utilizing safety equipment like gloves, goggles, masks when handling suspected cases. But it also does include a change to cultural burial rites, as in there is no burial, there is just incineration of the dead and it requires a very strict adherence to these rules 
rules which rural areas of Africa had not encountered before. And you got to wonder just, just how much, you know, rural people were sitting there and they've literally just had people turn up and go, there's this disease, it will kill you, do what we say and we guarantee you'll be fine. You're going to have your, your own social hierarchies with religious leaders, with local tribal leaders sort of saying, no, 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 who are you going to listen to? These strangers who've just turned up out of the blue or us, your people, don't worry, we'll look after you. Oh, and you guys want to know the real kicker? We don't know whether Ebola is sexually transmitted. Not fully, anyway. We've observed that the virus is present in seminal fluid. You can technically spunk out Ebola, is what I'm saying. But whether it can actually go on to cause the virus is unsure. Because, of course, if you're going to be banging, chances are you're going to be kissing. And if you've got Ebola, you're probably going to pass it through the kissing. Unless you're just raw doing doggy style. But, you know... I doubt the World Health Organization is going to suggest practicing that particular form of sexual activity. No, they, they they suggest getting yourself checked out if you have sex with someone who has Ebola. Now, with that being said, yes, there has been uh, 18 cases of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that's enough to let the World Health Organization state that the risk of uh, outbreak is higher at the national level. And, you know, you could be sitting going, yeah, but that's only 18 cases out of a population of how many? 77 million? There's only 18 cases? Well, let's not forget that the World Health Organization had previously been criticized for um, being a bit lax in responding to the outbreak in 2014. So they may just be overcompensating. But considering there is still that 50-50 chance of death, you can't blame the World Health Organization for overcompensating. So with this addition of 18 overall confirmed cases, that has resulted in the monitoring of about 400 patients. So there's 18 confirmed, possibly it could go up to 400, probably won't. But let's not forget, those who are affected, they will bleed from everywhere and vomit and have diarrhea. All of those fluids of which could contain the bacteria. Did I say bacteria? I meant virus. My lord, I need stronger coffee. And so presenting with such symptoms does make it very, very dangerous for any healthcare professionals who are looking to, to treat and assist these poor, poor unfortunate souls. As such, it has been suggested that a ring vaccination procedure gets implemented. That is where the healthcare professionals are the ones who get vaccinated first because they're the ones who, who are going to be seeing the patients rather than going into these small villages where people could potentially get sick. They're going to want to vaccinate the healthcare professionals who, if anything, have a greater chance of coming into contact with other sick people, people who are lot more susceptible to developing the disease so then of course you might be sitting there going okay hang on do we have a vaccine or not okay i, I don't i don't particularly care i just want to know whether if, if the proverbial shit hits the fan i can get myself vaccinated and you know what i can understand that position um yes there is a vaccine there are about seven hundred thousand doses of the vaccine stored in america which is roughly enough to vaccinate 0.01% of the world's 7 billion population. And while clinical tests in Guinea uh, were very promising, the vaccine still hasn't been uh, licensed for broad use. And it needs to be approved by the US uh, Food and Drug Administration, as well as other agencies, before it can be used. 
You know, it needs to be tested to see whether it's actually safe to use. Who knows? A vaccine for Ebola may go on to, I don't know, uh, cause cancer, develop other illnesses or, you know, something along those lines. Look at flidamide, for example. It was a drug that was produced to tackle one issue, but caused another. And I guess you have to sit there and, and wonder when you got a 50-50 shot of dying from Ebola, surely accepting another risk that might be slightly safer is worth it. But of course, it would be a massive smack in the face for any regulatory agency to say, we are going to release a product for general use and we don't know what the full extent is, especially considering there will be people who regularly travel to Africa or just, you know, people who are fearful for Ebola. They personally may purchase the drug to safeguard themselves or in a belief that they would safeguard themselves and accept the risk of a side effect. I don't know, sterility, cancer, whatever one you want to choose, which would then open up the US Food and Drug Administration to lawsuits. And the claim would be, you said this drug would vaccinate against Ebola, but you didn't tell me that it would cause X. And legally, they would have a very, very strong case. And again, given the globality of healthcare right now, yeah, if the Western World Health Organization was to move into the Democratic Republic of Congo, start injecting everyone with an untested drug, essentially using them as guinea pigs, then something did tragically go wrong. Well, we'd, we'd never hear the end of it. So it is the balance of trying to save lives whilst trying not to put lives in danger. It's uh, it's maddening to think about, really. And can you really get informed consent, even if you're sitting there as a doctor with the syringe in your hand, telling a patient, someone who could potentially get Ebola, if I give you this, it could cure you, could also cause something else. You have to wonder just what degree of informed consent you're going to get from people who literally live in the rainforest. And again, if it all goes tits up, you would slash the credibility of the World Health Organization. You would open the organization up to lawsuits from country. And you would also put any work that the World Health Organization does in other countries at risk. Countries would think twice about accepting World Health Organization recommendations. And of course, it would allow for vaccinations to be reframed as those horrible evil Westerners are just coming here to poison our people and may scupper attempts by other organizations like Doctors Without Borders or whatever from going to areas where their help is needed and doing the work that they do pretty well. But like I said at the beginning of this segment, the risk that you listening to this podcast right now will get Ebola is astronomically low. It's so low that if you did get Ebola, you could probably write a book titled I've Got Ebola and you would make a mint from it. You would be a celebrity. You would be, granted, a sideshow attraction while you're sitting there on GMTV just hemorrhaging blood from every orifice, but you probably could make some money from it, is what I'm saying. Anyway, I think that just about wraps up this show. This week we covered two risks that are incredibly low. In fact, the only reason why we found out that people have died because of caffeine or Ebola is that the media told us and I am telling you and it's just an, an interesting paradigm where something that we do on a daily basis like drink caffeine 
can kill us in large doses, yet we're more than happy to feed it to our children, to take it ourselves. And for most of us, myself included, couldn't envision a day without it. And on the other side of things, we can construct a hellscape of a highly improbable yet very lethal disease sweeping the globe, eliminating life in a torrent of diseased blood spewing forth from our gullets. And yet at the end of the day, we seem to be more concerned about the low probability yet catastrophic risks of a jungle-born disease than we are legally consuming something that in a high enough dose could technically cause our hearts to explode. We humans are definitely funny creatures. Anyway, if you have found this episode interesting, please feel free to share it with someone who you think would find it amusing for about half an hour. If you fancy, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at Rook Martin, R-O-O-K-E-M-A-R-T-I-N. You can follow the Risk Topic podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Minds.com. I did try vid.me, but uh, they didn't want me, so screw those guys. And until next week, I wish you all nothing but the best of health. Bye-bye. See you again soon.